So the question, would you choose for gene addition or gene editing for hemoglobinopathy? Please, can you uh, answer? I think, uh, Dr. Yanaki, you can start. Okay. Uh, in uh, gene therapy by gene addition, a self-inactivating uh, antiviral vector, um, uh, a codec for a fractional beta or gamma globin gene is inserted in the hematopoietic stem cells uh, integrated semi-randomly into the genome, and the, uh, then the gene-corrected cells can produce functional hemoglobin. But uh, why do I vote for gene addition? Because gene therapy is at a more advanced stage of preclinical and clinical uh, development. Uh, gene therapy by uh, gene addition uh, has uh, turned 50 years uh, old already. Uh, through all these years, uh, several successes, uh, drawbacks, uh, and challenges um, have uh, occurred. In 2002, um, xenotoxicity as a major clinical risk uh, with the use of gamma retroviral vectors was um, uh, recognized. And um, uh, extensive um, uh, research back to the bands led to the development of the highly safe uh, self-inactivating antiviral vectors. Uh, currently, several uh, gene uh, therapy by gene addition products uh, uh, possess marketing authorization, including Zidaglio for beta thalassemia. Uh, on the other hand, gene editing has come on the stage uh, the last uh, 15 years. And uh, despite uh, the very uh, fast uh, proclinical and clinical um, uh, development, uh, still there are uh, issues uh, remaining to be uh, addressed. In addition, I vote um, uh, for gene therapy as uh, uh, data on the efficacy and sustainability of the clinical benefit are available for a considerably higher number of patients uh, with hemoglobinopathies, approximately, uh, approximately 130, uh, having the longest follow-up up to seven years. And also because several hundreds of patients with other genetic or acquired diseases have been safely treated uh, so far uh, with gene therapy by gene addition. You may appreciate here the transfusion free status of um, patients with uh, thalassemia uh, post um, uh, shortly uh, after uh, gene therapy in the Bluebird BIOS um, uh, phase three trials. Uh, despite their uh, heavy previous uh, uh, transfusion uh, history. And also the complete resolution of uh, vasoclusive uh, uh, crisis in um, uh, sickly cell patients post-gene um, uh, therapy. Um, gene therapy by gene addition in thalassemia was um, well tolerated uh, and safe. Um, as known graph failure, death, or insertion lipogenesis, uh, up to seven years follow-up um, uh, uh In contrast to sickle cell patients, developed um, MDS AML. Uh, however, the investigation did not as associate lipogenesis uh, uh, effects with uh, gene therapy. Uh, to end up uh, with my statement, undoubtedly, um, gene editing provides tremendous opportunities to cure hemoglobinopathies. However, there is still much to be done, and a deeper understanding of potential adverse events is needed. 
And then I, th I hope I have convinced you that gene therapy by gene addition remains the most advanced and clinically mature therapeutic approach. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Professor Yanaki, uh, for uh, trying to convince us that uh, gene addition is uh, the modality in thalassemia and sickle cell disease. Now, um, now we will be moving into our second uh, speaker. So let's listen now to Professor Locatelli and discuss about his topic. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Tyre, for the nice introduction. Uh, and uh, I am really pleased uh, to be here this morning uh, to discuss uh, about as, uh, an opponent, uh, uh, Professor Yamaki, who is uh, a great expert uh, in the field uh, of uh, curative uh, treatment uh, uh, for uh, hemoglobinopathies. So the provocative title that I choose was why I do prefer genome editing for treating patients with either TBT or sickle cell disease. And in the next couple of minutes, I will try to convince you that at the moment, despite the fact that also gene addition therapy is a treatment with a potential uh, curative capacity, uh, it, it is uh, less, a less concrete option in comparison to genome editing. Genome editing approaches uh, uh, stems from uh, a couple of observations, namely that uh, a repressive transcription factor, namely BCL11A, suppresses uh, and inhibits uh, the uh, synthesis of uh, gamma globin and dance uh, of uh, uh, hemoglobin fetal uh, and uh, naturally occurring uh, genetic polymorphism in BCL11A are associated uh, with uh, elevated hemoglobin F and decreased severity of uh, thalassemia and sickle cell disease. In particular, uh, the trial uh, in which we contributed uh, developed a drug product called Exocell, formerly known as CTX001, which is produced using non-viral ex vivo editing of the erythrospecific non-serve region of BCL. 11A in CD34 positive hematopoietic stem cells. And uh, the journey of the patient can be summarized in this way. The first step is that of the mobilization of the hematopoietic stem cells uh, using either plerixophoramone or plerixophora in combination with GCZ for sickle cell disease and thalassemia patient perspective. Once that uh, the hematopoietic stem cells have been collected, they are selected to be edited using the CRISCAS-9. And then the patient uh, is uh, infused with the edited cells after a minor conditioning regimen based on the use of busulfan. At the 
late breaking apps session on Sunday morning, I presented that the updated results of uh, the two trials that uh, demonstrating uh, that uh, 42 out of the 44 uh, patients with uh, thalassemia, namely 95%, obtain transfusion independence uh, using this approach. And all the patients with sickle cell disease uh, after the infusion of the drug product became free of uh, vasoclusive crisis, so very, very high success rate. And uh, if you look uh, at this cartoon, uh, uh, for the thalassemia population, uh, you can immediately appreciate that, that starting uh, from month nine after the drug product infusion, the median hemoglobin level of these patients is at least 12.5 grams per deciliter or even higher. And looking at, at the sickle cell disease patient population, you can appreciate that that, that there is a progressive increase in the percentage of hemoglobin F and peripheral blood that attesting around 40% and remaining stable over time. And looking at the percentage of F cell, you can appreciate that, that there is a progressive increase again of F cells which remains stable over time, and this pancellular distribution of the hemoglobin F, besides being maintained over time, reassure in terms of residual ineffective erythropoiesis. And the other relevant message is that no patient diet, so 75 treated patients, no patients diet, no secondary malignancy, no development of AML or MDS. So, in my personal view, both gene addition therapy and genome editing are potentially curative options in hemoglobin hepatitis. It is certainly true that gene addition therapy has been implemented earlier and those patients have a longer follow-up, although the patients with the longer follow-up in the two trials that I commented that now are around three years after the drug product infusion. Unfortunately, there have been a couple of cases of secondary AML after gene addition therapy in sickle cell disease. And certainly we need longer follow-up to define the respective merits and limitation of the two approaches also considering, in my personal view, the importance of persistent and ineffective erythropoiesis. Unfortunately, and I am saying this having been uh, the PI for the 207 uh, trial, the gene addition therapy developed uh, by Bluebird Bayer is not any longer available in Europe uh, because of the company decision not to discontinue operational activities in our continent. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Professor Locatelli, for this, for your view on this interesting presentation. So now we can open the debate between uh, Professor Yanaki and Professor Locatelli. 
But before we start, I thought it would be interesting to uh, ask both of you who are the TDT patient or sickle cell disease patient that you would start to think of editing uh, or uh, doing any pro gene uh, procedure uh, for them, especially that now uh, ineffective erythropoiesis is being targeted as specific treatments, chelation therapy is the and there are other novel therapies that are happening. So who are the patients that you would start? And then we will move into the debate between both of you. Lady first. Ladies first. So uh, today the only um, option for um, uh, correcting, fully correcting uh, uh, thalassemia or sickle cell disease uh, is um, gene therapy. Uh, other options, I mean, except uh, the allogeneic uh, stem cell transplantation, where the patient if it has a, a compatible uh, donor, or the other uh, currently available uh, options, uh, cannot uh, um, uh, maintain, uh, could not convert uh, transfusion-dependent uh, thalassemia uh, to um, transfusion-independent. So, uh, for me, gene therapy. Uh, Today, for those patients that do not have um, a compatible donor and are um, transfusion dependent, uh, the only option is uh, either gene uh, addition or genetic. Uh, Professor Lucatelli, and if you can highlight also sickle cell disease. Yes, thank you. Uh, the two trials that I commented that enrolled patients with an age between 12 and 35 uh, years, the two pediatric studies uh, and uh, uh, using this approach uh, are going to start in a few weeks uh, and we will have also information on the pediatric population. In principle, Professor Tyre, for uh, answering uh, the question you raise, I would consider patient in this age range uh, with a limited iron overload uh, uh, for being even more precise with a cardiac T2 star uh, uh, greater than 20 milliseconds uh, and a limited uh, liver iron concentration below 50 milligram per gram of a dry uh, weight uh, of uh, uh, liver uh, or uh, optimally even uh, lower than uh, uh, 7 milligrams. Uh, of course, uh, allogeneous cell transplantation can be an alternative, but only for those patients who are able to locate uh, a fully HLNH donor and who are below the age of 14 because above this age, uh, risk of transplant-related mortality, in my personal view, is unacceptably high. And considering the uh, sickle cell disease patients, uh, we should uh, offer this option to those patients who experience at least two uh, severe vasoclusive crises per year in the previous two years like uh, the inclusion criteria in the protocol. Okay, thank you. Uh, I think uh, I can open the uh, discussion between both of you directly now. 
to uh, see because each one presented his uh, own uh, view and some of the literature. So, so uh, Professor Locatelli, can you uh, interact with the Professor Yanaki asking her why does she why does she think that addition is a better way? Yes, uh, in particular, uh, Evangelia. Let me ask. Uh, how do you envisage uh, the possible scenario of application of gene addition therapy in Europe considering uh, uh, that, as I mentioned at the end of my talk, uh, the company uh, which developed the approach de decided to discontinue the, the operational activities in our continent. Uh, do you see any alternative in terms of uh, of uh, academic trials, for example, the uh, Milan uh, experience demonstrated uh, a good efficacy in the pediatric population, although it was completely not effective uh, in the adult population. Um, first, uh, to start, and um, um, because this is a, a debate, uh, I would like to mention that um, uh, the reason that um, uh, the, the gene therapy product as integral is not uh, anymore available in, in Europe was that uh, it was a failure um, in uh, the financial uh, negotiation between the company and the regulatory authorities. And um, uh, this means that um, we don't know uh, what will be the, the outcome when the gene editing procedures come, uh, procedure come to uh, the uh, come to discussions on um, uh, on the reimburse reimbursement of um, uh, the product, and uh, so uh, I guess that um, gene editing also will be a, a, a highly expensive uh, also procedure. Uh, on the other hand, uh, there is the um, uh, the experience, the data from the Milan trial, as you already mentioned, uh, with, which is a, a gene addition procedure. Um, however, in this trial, uh, the results were not so impressive as in the Bluebird uh, BIOS trial. Uh, we had um, uh, a, 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 a transfusion independence in uh, thalassemic uh, pediatric patients, but uh, no adult patient um managed to uh become uh, transfusion uh, free so um alternative approaches uh in terms of uh, cost uh let's say should be either the in vivo uh, gene therapy approach for hemoglobinopathies um a platform that is being used uh, preclinically um the last years by the um, uh, University of Washington, uh, with which we also uh, collaborate, and this would be a highly reduce. Uh, this will highly reduce the cost because does not require eukaryosis uh, uh, myeloblative conditioning or uh, transplantation expertise, and the other option will be a decentralized let's say, um, production of transduced uh, 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 cells in different uh, uh, parts uh, of uh, the patient's care. 
No. Okay. Thank you. So I, I also wanted to ask you, Professor Locatelli uh, and Professor Yanaki, as we all know, hemoglobinopathies, TDT and DDT or sickle cell, although they are due to migration and what's happening worldwide now, they are present everywhere. Yet they are all, the majority are present in uh, countries with limited resources and even more than 70% of those patients cannot get blood transfusion or chelation therapy. So we're talking about a highly uh, 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 sophisticated uh, novel therapy, which sometimes, as you said, just said, will keep on uh, transfusing this patient. So with this high cost, moving somebody into a little bit of less transfusion, how can we explain uh, this? And how can we, uh, I mean, at the end, we need to uh, treat all the uh, patients and give the best care to the uh, patients. But I, I agree now that we have a large menu between the traditional treatment, transplantation, novel therapy, whether losbatercept or what's coming into the market, gene editing and gene therapy. So I think we should uh, personalize the treatment so that we can give, but the cost would remain a very high cost for this part of the world. Or the uh, so, how can you envisage this, and how can one work on this uh, issue? Let me start uh, uh, with the following consideration. I can concur more with you, Ali, that uh, we must render these therapies affordable and sustainable also for those patients living in countries with limited resources. It's an issue of social justice, I would say, because it is not the right approach of granting these therapies only for few countries, while, for example, we know very well that 75% of patients with sickle cell disease are born and live in the sub-Saharan area of Africa. We have the duty as scientific community to pursue strategies for rendering this approach available for uh, uh, also uh, these patients. Uh, it's clear that in a sort of pharmacoeconomic evaluation of the two approaches, we must consider several factors. For, for example, you know better than me that uh, the conventional management of patients with thalassemia has a not negligible cost, more or less estimated in the order of 30,000 euro per year. And also the use of Luspatercept that you were commenting is not particularly cheap. If I am not wrong, uh, the agreement between the company and the FDA was uh, for a total annual cost in the order of uh, 70, 75,000 dollars. Uh, at the rear, if not more. So there is certainly an issue for uh, trying to render uh, uh, all the approaches uh, affordable uh, worldwide. Uh, and uh, uh, certainly the future is that of 
developing models that, that uh, can uh, uh, effectively tackle uh, uh, this important request. Thank you. Fully agree with you. I also wanted to ask you, Dr. Yanaki, if these patients will not become completely transfusion independent, whether by addition or editing, which means that you need to transfuse them every now and then, specifically in thalassemia, which means that the ineffective erythropoiesis remains to be there. So one of my worries is that this TDT patient will become like a TDT patient at, an, at the longer term, they will start to get more complications. So do you think that there will be, as you have mentioned, more sophisticated work on these uh, editing additions so that we will know who are the patients that might uh, respond better? Maybe not a beta zero, severe beta zero, beta zero, maybe. So I think we need to ca characterize who are the patients that will benefit better from whether editing or uh, addition. So um, to start with um, that um, the response either by uh, zine editing or zine addition <clears throat> in terms of um, uh, the total hemoglobin produced um, does not really have a difference between beta zero and beta plus. Uh, of course, there is a difference where the, um, the benefit is marginal. Uh, so in this case, it's, it's mu much more um, uh, easier to have uh, to get a beta plus uh, patient uh, transfusion um, independent. But when the uh, the the, post, the produced uh, therapeutic um, hemoglobin is high, uh, doesn't really have any uh, difference if the patient uh, has a beta zero or beta uh, plus genotype. Uh, it is true that for uh, patients that after uh, gene therapy maintain a level of hemoglobin uh, between uh, uh, 9.5 grams to uh, 10.5. Um, this may in the long term um, have a, um, uh, develop a, a chronic ineffective uh, And uh, then at this time, we may see some uh, complications of this kind. Uh, however, the, the, the long-term uh, uh, data we, we have so far uh, with the gene addition uh, could come up to um, uh, seven years up to now. Uh, we don't see even in those patients with um, uh, marginal, uh, let's say, hemoglobin uh, levels, uh, we don't see yet uh, uh, um, transition, let's say, to um, a, a phenotype of thalassemia media. Yes. Would you like to comment, uh, Professor Lucatelli? Yes, thank you. Uh, indeed, uh, Evangelia is absolutely right. Uh, again, for the, the pleasure uh, to present different uh, opinions stimulating the audience, let me uh, emphasize that uh, roughly as Evangelia uh, underlined the production of T87Q, namely the hemoglobin deriving from gene addition therapies in the order of uh, 9, 9.5 grams per deciliter, also with the refined manufacturing process. 
while with the gene uh, the genome editing uh, strategy uh, the amount of hemoglobin uh, that, that derives from the added uh, hematopoietistan cells uh, is in the order of uh, 11, 11.5 grams, so 2 grams uh, higher than that deriving from uh, uh, the gene addition therapy. And uh, uh, moreover, uh, once again, let me reiterate the concept that the pancellular distribution of the hemoglobin F uh, indicate that the probability should be associated with uh, less ineffective uh, erythropoiesis and in the long term uh, uh, this could be an advantage has already commented uh, by Professor Yannaki. Uh, may I ask um, uh, Professor uh, Locatelli uh, a question uh, on this? Sure. And, um, so uh, Professor Locatelli, uh, do you think that uh, or are you concerned uh, for patients having 100% almost the hemoglobin F, uh, if this can have the, can create uh, some complications uh, because uh, actually we don't know uh, a lot. There are only few cases with homozygous uh, uh, HPFH patients. So we, we don't really know how these patients having 100% uh, hemoglobin F would um, behave in the in the long term and especially uh, given the fact that um, uh, hemoglobin F has uh, much more uh, stronger uh, binding to oxygen for the the fetus to uh, be oxygenated oxygenated from uh, mother's bloodstream and um, how do you think uh, this could uh, work during uh, a denied uh, woman that become pregnant. So thank you so much, Evangelia, for raising uh, uh, these important issues. Uh, in principle, despite the higher affinity for oxygen of uh, hemoglobin F uh, with the lower uh, tissue uh, distribution of, of uh, oxygen, I don't see any particular concern. Uh, also, in view of the high hemoglobin level that this patient reached, uh, for uh, uh, the long-term uh, effect of adding such a high proportion of hemoglobin, F, of course, we have to monitor the patient over time and to follow them. But in principle, for the general population, uh, I don't see any particular concern. Uh, and for the question of uh, the pregnant woman, uh, uh, again, uh, uh, with the, the levels of uh, hemoglobin that this patient reaches, 12.5, uh, uh, 13.5, uh, uh, 14, 15 grams per deciliter, it should be enough for uh, a normal development of the fetus. Let me share with you, for example, uh, that uh, the first patient that we infused with gene editor cells uh, now has uh, a hemoglobin level of 16.5 grams per deciliter. So, you know, uh, a, a perfectly 
Uh, normally I've done some of the hemoglobin scanning. Thank you. So I think now we can go to the poll question uh, and then get some questions from the uh, audience. So the poll question is there. Would you choose gene addition or gene editing? You can start voting. So, so at the beginning, 75% were choosing gene editing. And after this, this 100% are choosing gene editing. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if the issue that happened in Europe that you have mentioned had affected the uh, the people that are answering because 100 percent is <laughs> is really a very uh, high uh, response so can you comment uh, dr yanaki yes uh, i i will comment uh so first uh, as regards the the, the, the fact that uh, as i've told us already uh said that um uh that Gene addition product is not available anymore uh, anymore in Europe. Uh, yes, uh, it could have uh, affect the um, uh, the outcome of the polling. Um, however, as I've uh, already said, uh, this may apply also to uh, gene editing uh, uh, procedure when it comes to uh, financial uh, agreements. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I could I should say that I I think that. Uh, the audience um, uh, voted 100% uh, for gene editing is that because we didn't discuss at all the, the possible uh, consequences, uh, severe adverse events that uh, uh, gene editing uh, may have. And um, actually, uh, we do know now what we expect in terms of complications and severe adverse events from gene addition. But what we really expect from gene editing in terms of off-target consequences and also uh, the recently recognized on-target consequences uh, yet, have not yet um, been um, addressed. And uh, I consider that this will be a, a critical uh, point in the near future uh, on uh, where uh, to go. With either gene addition or gene editing. Uh, thank you. Uh, Professor you would you like to comment before I uh, give you the question from the audience? No, you know, it's clearly important to monitor patients uh, uh, given the genome editing approach in the long term, uh, as uh, we have to do also for the gene addition. Uh, uh, therapy. We are talking uh, for the moment about potential risk uh, that could uh, occur also in the gene addition uh, therapy. And thus, at the moment, that uh, we don't have uh, any safety concern, uh, but it is certainly important to follow over time these patients. Thank you. So, uh, uh, let me read some of the questions from the uh, audience. The first question is, even though gene therapy can be potentially curative, 
Can you comment, both of you, on approaches to make the process safer and cheaper? We discussed a little bit, but maybe we could talk more on the safer. Uh, we discussed the cheaper part. <clears throat> Should I start? It's for you, I suppose, Emangelia, because it refers to the gene addition therapy. Yes. yes. Okay. Um, so, as regards uh, safety uh, by uh, gene addition uh, procedure, uh, we know that um, uh, there is uh, a rare but existing risk of um, insertional uh, oncogenesis. Uh, however, uh, this um, uh, was not um, um, an effect uh, with uh, self-inactivating uh, lentiviral uh, vectors. Uh, after uh, several hundreds of patients uh, being treated uh, by gene therapy uh, uh, with gene therapy by gene addition, uh, then it is true that very recently there have been uh, uh, some cases of um, uh, insertion oncogenesis in the uh, adrenoleukodystrophy uh, gene therapy trial, um, but uh, which was. Um, uh, associated well uh, documented that was associated with uh, the gene therapy uh, procedure uh, however we know that in this case the the promoter that the uh, viral vector uh, had um, uh, was uh, developed with was a very uh, strong promoter and this triggered the um, uh, the leukemogenesis uh, in this trial uh, however, the, um, uh, by uh, balancing the uh, risk-benefit uh, ratio, uh, the FDA uh, very recently anonymously uh, approved this product for uh, the uh, for kids with adrenoleukodystrophy. Um, still, there is space for the self-inactivating antiviral vectors to become uh, uh, even safer by uh, incorporating uh, in the constructs uh, chromatin uh, insulators and very recently uh, human-derived um, small sized uh, chromatin insulators have been developed uh, that uh, do not have the detrimental effects that uh, the previous prototypic insulators uh, had. So this um, um, we only uh, discovered chromatin insulators uh, um, work as an enhancer blockers. That means that they uh, can block uh, the activation of an oncogene from an, uh, an enhancer or promoter. And uh, also, uh, if they, they may also uh, reduce the silencing effects of transgene um, uh, depending on the, uh, the site of uh, integration. So this as regards the safety part of the gene addition uh, methods. And um, as uh, I've told you in terms of cost, uh, the in-vivo gene therapy platform uh, can work either by gene addition or uh, gene editing. Uh, will be uh, a very uh, much uh, cheaper uh, gene therapy approach. Well, I, I, uh, we came to an end in this uh, debate and I would like to uh, thank you both for this uh, interesting debate. 
I hope ultimately this uh, treatment would be available to the majority of the uh, patients that need this uh, treatment in a much cheaper and safer uh, way. And I'm sure that all of us will be working on this, but I do believe that this is by way bigger than us and it leads a, a relation between all the stakeholders, including pharmaceutical governments and third party debates. Said this can be, uh, if we look into long term morbidities and the, the, the amount of payment on per patient, it will be by far supersede these uh, procedures. So I would like to thank you all, and I was happy to chair this meeting, uh, especially the first virtual EHA 22 session. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to thank the audience for any support movement. Thank you so much. It has been really a great privilege and a pleasure uh, to be chaired by you and to discuss uh, with Evangelia. Thank you. Thank you, Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.